Let me ask you this morning to open to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 16 is where we're going to begin. As you're finding that, may I please make a request. Uh, A few months ago, we started a uh, different sort of discipleship program wherein many of you volunteered to disciple some of the newer Christians in our church. And I was wondering if I might get some feedback from you folks on that endeavor. So those of you that uh, volunteered to disciple others, if you could send me a, an SMS or a WhatsApp this week, just let me know how that's going. I, I just want you to know I've been praying for all of you as you teach those newer Christians, and I'm still very excited to see what God will do with that. In Matthew 11, and we're going to begin in verse number 16 and uh, work our way through the scripture. I'd like to preach to you this morning a sermon called From Warning to Weeping. From Warning to Weeping. And you'll see where that title comes from as we move through these verses this morning. And uh, because I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching as I preach this morning, I'd like to go ahead and pray now, and that way we can just move right through these verses. So if you would, please bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you, Lord. You've already spoken to my heart in the hour that came before. Thank you for the good singing this morning, the songs that remind us to count every blessing. God, and there's no greater blessing than getting to know more about Jesus. Please, Father, help me today to preach as a dying man to dying men, never sure to preach again. Please, God, meet with us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 11 and verse 16. Jesus has reached just about the midway point of his ministry when we're reading this text. So he's been preaching for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And by this point, he has seen that the vast majority of the people he's preaching to are not receiving his message. There are some that are mildly interested. There were a very few that became full disciples. But by and large, the generation that heard him preach and saw his miracles really did nothing with it. In verse 16, he has this to say, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Now what's his point in saying this? Saying, guys, we, we played you a happy tune, and we expected a happy response. We didn't get it. Then we played you a sad tune, because you look so sad, but then you, you didn't lament. We... We are saying one thing which should, it should bring about this response, but you guys are responding the exact opposite of the message. So John the Baptist and Jesus, those are the two men that have been preaching to that generation. They both had one unified message. Their message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Both of them had the same things to say, but... By and large, that generation did not react 
to the opportunity that God was giving them. In verse number 18, Jesus explains why these people, or let's say Jesus tells us the excuse that these people were using for their lack of reaction. He says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. So John wouldn't sit down and have a coffee in a neutral space with somebody that uh, was of questionable character. John wouldn't do that. Now, I don't think anybody wanted to do that with John. (laughs) If you've read about John in the Bible, right? He wore camels, uh, a a shirt or an outfit made of camel skin, you know, a leathern girdle. He had honey dripping down his beard. He ate locust out in the desert. He was not the kind of guy you invite to a coffee. But people rejected his message because he wouldn't go to the coffee shop and sit down and chat with a sinner. Now verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus would. Look at this. There are different methods but the same message. Do you see that? They preached the same message. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. One guy would go to the coffee shop, sit down and chat with a guy there. The next guy wouldn't. There are many different methods, but the message must stay the same. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber. Jesus was not gluttonous. He did not overeat. He was not a wine-bibber. Jesus was not a drunkard. This is what the people said about him. This was the gossip moving about town. They say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Why would they say that? Because he sat down and talked with them uh, just so that we're all on the same page here. Jesus didn't go to the Kehoblech and talk with them there. I just want to point that out because some people do turn to this verse and say, you see, I go to the Kehoblech so that I can reach sinners. You can find sinners at Mug and Bean. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You're just trying to use excuses to get away with your nonsense. So, Jesus, when He sat down with publicans and sinners, this was, there's an occasion of this in Matthew 9, Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. Matthew, who was a publican, he was a tax collector, he became a a, a, a disciple of Christ and then Matthew organized a bunch of his old friends to come over to his house and have a conversation with Jesus and that's where Jesus sat down with publicans and sinners and you know what he told them to do? He told them to repent. Now, and he, and he did it in a way that wasn't offensive. He didn't just walk in and start preaching at him. But it was the Pharisees that got upset that Jesus was doing such a thing. So at the end of verse 19, but wisdom is justified of her children. That's sarcasm. That is some intense sarcasm. Because the people that were criticizing John and Jesus they claimed to be the children of wisdom. They, wisdom throughout the Bible is given a, a bit of a female character. She's referred to as a she all throughout the Bible. And they, they said, we are wisdom's children. 
Well, if that's the case, you should also be wise if you're a child of wisdom, but they weren't. So Jesus' wisdom is justified of her children. Even though you say wisdom's your mother, you're not acting much like your mother, so we're not going to blame your mother. It's not your mother's fault. Wisdom is justified of her children. So there's some sarcasm to that. Notice that the people that heard John and Jesus preach, they didn't criticize the message. They didn't. They didn't say, hey, what you're telling us is wrong. They said, we won't accept your message because one guy eats and drinks with sinners and the next guy doesn't. This tells me that they knew the message was right. But they were looking for a reason not to do anything with it. And they picked on silly things. They, they looked at something, a, a very a, a side issue, a non-important issue. Okay, one guy sits and has a meal with a sinner, the next guy doesn't. What does that have to do with you repenting and coming to, to God in humble contrition? What, how does that affect you not receiving the message? Do you know how many people today say, I, I won't be a Christian, I won't go to church, I won't get saved, I won't repent because I saw so-and-so do this and this? Maybe you did, and maybe that person was in the wrong, but what does that have to do with you being born again? What does that have to do with you receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior? We're not asking you to receive that guy that you saw. We're asking you to receive Christ. Now, what's wrong with Him? What's wrong with the Gospel message? Some people, they come to a preaching service, and they already have it set in their heart that they're going to find a reason not to do something with what they hear. They are set on rebellion. That's what this generation that we're reading about, that's what they were doing. You can either object or obey. You can, re you can rebel or repent. It all really has to do with the attitude of your heart this morning. Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, Then begin he to upbraid. Does everybody know that word, upbraid? It's, it's not a word we use very often. Ladies, it's not braiding your hair up. Okay, it has nothing to do with that. To, to upbraid means to chew out. To, to really let them have it. That's what upbraiding is. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. So here comes the warning. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You need to know just a very little bit about this history, but Tyre and Sidon, you can read about their destruction in the book of Ezekiel and in the book of Zechariah. God had sent some prophets and, and said that Tyre would be completely wiped out. And it's very interesting prophecies. Every single detail of those prophecies came to pass. They were first destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and then a couple hundred years later, Alexander the Great from Greece came in and finished them off and completely fulfilled to the minute details everything that was listed in the prophets. Jesus says, if Tyre and Sidon, which were wicked, if they had seen these things, they would have repented a long time ago. But you guys, Chorazin, Bethsaida, you have gotten to see 
God manifest in the flesh, walking amongst you, doing these mighty deeds, giving you the truth, and yet you have done nothing with it. And he says, woe unto you. Woe unto you. Verse 22, but I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. You have been given such a wonderful opportunity and you did nothing with it. And therefore God is going to exact a greater punishment. He expects more. Verse 23, And thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven. Think of that statement for a moment. He says, you, this town, Capernaum, and that is where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. You have been exalted to heaven. He says, you guys got a taste of it. You guys were so close to heaven, you could have reached out and just touched it. He says, you've been exalted unto heaven. You should be brought down to hell. Do you see it there? You see the extreme? You had such a wonderful opportunity. You saw God work. You heard God's words. He says, but you should be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. What a tremendous statement. Sodom? He said those Sodomites would have repented had they gotten to see what you see. Have you ever considered how much God has given you access to? Think of, think of how much you could know about Him. We sang it this morning, more about Jesus. There are some people that will not get to learn more about Jesus because they don't have the opportunities that you do. He says in verse 24, But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Just a quick question. What are you doing with the opportunities you've been given? Are you making the most of them? Are you taking advantage of the access that you have to learn more about Jesus? To draw nigh to Him. To serve Him. To worship Him. Jesus is interested in how you react to the privileges and opportunities and blessings that he, that he shares your way. He's giving a warning here. Woe unto you. You had a chance. You had a chance. There's a, a few things I think we can learn from this passage. Number one, and, and this is where I'm going into teaching mode just a little bit, but I think it'll help you. There are different levels of punishment that will take place at the judgment. Sometimes preachers make it very cut and dry, almost too cut and dry. They say, listen, you either go to heaven or you go to hell and that's it. That, that's it. If you're saved, you go to heaven, you sit on a cloud, you strum on a harp, you wear a crown, and that's it. You know, you got little angel wings, you flap, but that's it. That's, that's not heaven. That's, that's, don't worry, you don't have to play a harp in heaven. Some of you may, Manly men are going, I don't want to play a harp. You don't have to play a harp. Don't worry, don't worry. And, and then if you don't receive Jesus, you just, you just go to hell, you're burning, that's it. Did you realize there's more to it? There's more to it. How many of you have heard this statement before? A sin is a sin is a sin. All sin is the same. Heard that before? They say, listen, it doesn't matter what sin you commit. 
all sins are equally bad. That's not true. That is just not true. A white lie and a murder are slightly different. They are both sin, I get that, but there are greater levels of sin. Now where do we learn this? Jesus, when he's talking to Pontius Pilate, he says, those that have, that, that have delivered me over unto you, they have the greater sin. So some sins are worse than others. Because of that, it would make sense that there are going to be different degrees of punishment that come upon a person for their sins. Now, this falls in line with the just and upright and holy nature of God that He punishes people accordingly. He doesn't just cut and dry, okay, all sins the same, doesn't matter, off you go. God does take into account what that person did. There are different levels. How do we know it from this passage? He says it will be more tolerable for this group than that group. Now the sinners of Tyre and Sidon, the sinners of Sodom, where did they go when they died? They went to hell. According to the Bible, they went to hell. But Jesus says, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, you guys are going to have it worse at the judgment than them. So there's different levels. Can I ask you to hold your place here and look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse number 14. Now, if you have a newer English version of the Bible, you will not be able to find this. If you have the 1983 Afrikaans, you won't be able to find this. I, I don't think. i be honest, I did not check the 83, but I don't think it's there. This verse is missing from a lot of the newer Bibles. Interesting verse. Verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the, what? What's the next word? Greater damnation. Do you see the levels to it? There's one thing that Jesus came down on very heavy, and that was religious hypocrisy. Jesus can't stand a spiritual faker. He can't stand it. If you have any doubts, later on when you get home, just read the entirety of Matthew 23. You'll have no doubts after that. He says, you religious hypocrites, you're going to receive greater damnation. So there's levels to it. Did you know that even for Christians, now what I've talked about so far are for lost people. See, people that have never been born again, they're not saved. Even for Christians, did you realize we go to a different judgment? Christians don't go to the same judgment as lost people. We, we have something called the judgment seat of Christ. And everybody that's been saved since the cross they one day will stand before Christ and give an account for, of, of the life that they lived after they got saved. And if you lived for Christ, you get rewards. If you lived for yourself and your flesh, then you lose rewards. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul likened this to two things. He said, uh, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
So there's your salvation. You lay the foundation, which is Jesus. The next verse says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones. Those are the good things you do for Christ. Wood, hay, stubble. All of those are dead things. Those are things you do for the flesh. Those are dead works. Paul goes on to say, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. It's going to be tried in fire. Wood, hay, and stubble. Now you guys, South Africans, are professional briars. You know how to start a fire. Did you hear me rhyme? I was, I was rapping there for a second. Yeah, man, that takes talent to slip that in the middle of a sermon. I just want you to appreciate what you just heard. So the briars with the fires. So... Wood, hay, and stubble, that'll get the fire going. Gold, silver, and precious stone, fire doesn't hurt those things. It actually purifies them, if anything. So we have a saying, there's only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It will abide the fire. So Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3.14, Now if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward next verse but if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire so even for Christians there are different levels of rewards that you can receive at the judgment seat of Christ do you understand the lesson we learned for some people on the day of judgment it will be more tolerable it will be more tolerable what makes the difference what makes it more tolerable not only the light that you had access to but what you did with the light you had access to which back in Matthew chapter 11 is the next thing I'd like to touch on there are different levels of punishment at the judgment but we also must recognize that God has given a different amount of light to various people not all people groups have always received the same amount of information now here's the thing I've heard this you've heard this I'm sure you have people say but what about the heathen that have never heard how is God going to judge them those people that never heard the gospel, never saw a Bible, never had a preacher. What about them? God judges every person based on the light that he or she had access to. Right? So if a person didn't have access to the light of the gospel, God is not going to hold them to that standard. And you might be tempted to think, well, ignorance is bliss. Have you heard that one? Ignorance is bliss. If you, if, if you don't know a lot, then you're not responsible to do a lot. No one's going to expect much of you, so just stay ignorant so that you don't have to do much. But, but then you're cheating yourself of actually adding value to your life and meaning. The more you know, the more you can do with what you know. The more you know God, the more you'll love and appreciate Him. The more you know about Jesus, the more you'll want to know about Jesus. Do you see how it would build on itself? Ignorance, is, in this case, is not bliss. 
This is why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He wants everybody to know about these mighty works that he did, most especially his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants the people of the world to know that he's alive, listen, alive and available for them. He is alive and available for you, sir. Ma'am, he's trying to reach out to you this morning. Here is an opportunity for him to grab a hold of your heart. Two responses. You can object or you can obey. You can rebel or you can repent. But now today that you've heard he is available, he is alive, he can change everything about your life and make it what he wants it to be, you now have no excuse to say, well, Jesus, I didn't know any better. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. What about the heathen that have never heard? Did you know as every human being comes into the world, the Bible says they have a light within them. They, are, they have been lighted by the true light. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, every man that comes into the world has light from God within them. We have the ability to seek after and find God. He's put that in us, everybody. But then as God sends His words your way, if that's through a preacher, through a friend, through a YouTube video, I don't care how He gets it to you. Once you receive that light, God expects you to do something with it. Now watch. If the, if the lights are on in this room over here and you're in this room and you know you can see the lights are on over there and you look over there and say something must be happening in that room the lights are on. But you're already nice and comfy in your recliner in this, chair, in this room. You say, well, I know the lights are on but, well... I'm not that interested to find out. Hey, you had access. You could have found out what the fuss was about. You could have known. Won't that be something on the day of judgment when God says, now here's what you could have known, here's what you could have done had you just been interested enough. But you're too busy on this side. Comfortable. Yeah, I know enough. I know enough about Jesus. I know all I need to know. Really? Comfortable over here? Don't you know there's some more light going on over there? Or do you, or do you just make excuses and say, well, you know, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that. And Jesus said, you had access to some light. Take your Bible, look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. In verse number 47, Luke 12 and 47. God, God is an incredibly just and fair judge. He takes into account how much light you had access to and then judges you by that standard. An incredibly fair judge. In Luke 12 verse 47, it says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will... 
and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Why? He knew better. He knew better. Verse 48. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes. You see, he did the same things. But he didn't know any better. He shall be beaten with few stripes. Do you see the different levels of punishment? And then Jesus says at the end of verse 48, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. So Jesus, Jesus is asking of you today to do something with the abundance that he has given you access to. That's not unreasonable. That's not unfair. That just makes sense. Part of the way through Jesus' ministry, right? I, I told you in Matthew 11, that was about the halfway point of his ministry. He stopped and he chewed those cities out and said, you guys have missed out on an opportunity. That's a warning. They still had time to repent. Now take your Bible and let's come to Luke chapter 19. My sermon today is called From Warning to Weeping. From Warning to Weeping. After about a year and a half of preaching, Jesus had done enough that those people should have and could have been convinced. But they made excuses. They found a reason to rebel. Now in Luke 19, we are at the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus preached for three and a half years. Okay, So a year and a half in, he warned them, you guys are going to have it bad. And now right at the end, in Luke 19, we're about one week or maybe ten days before his death. And Jesus is now approaching Jerusalem. He's been preaching up in the north, and now he's coming down to Jerusalem. This is where he's going to die. And he knows it. He knows that his time is coming to an end. Luke 19, verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. The Bible says, And when he, Jesus, was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. By this point, Jesus had been doing miracles in Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Nazareth, Galilee, Jerusalem. He had been all over the place. He had saturated Israel with the knowledge of his presence. Anybody that wanted to know something about God on a deeper level could have known it had they paid attention. And now he's coming into Jerusalem for the final, final go, final, final entry. And he stops before he gets to the city. Now bear in mind, Jerusalem, that's up on a mountain. So he's coming and he's at a high elevated spot and he can behold the city. And he looks over it and he begins to weep. You know why he's weeping? He warned them for three and a half years. Do something with this chance. You better listen. You better pay attention. I'm not going to be here for much longer. I'm warning you. You don't want to get to the day of judgment and find out what you could have 
done had you paid attention. Warning, warning, warning. And now, no more warnings. He gets to the city and he looks down on them and he says, man, you guys blew it. If I can use the South African terminology, shame. Shame. He just stands and looks at the city and, and can you imagine what's going through his mind that would bring the tears from the Savior's eyes? He's thinking of what a paradise it could have been. He's thinking of the intense and intimate fellowship he could have had with those people. Just imagine if the people of Israel would have accepted him. Imagine the joy, the transformation. Imagine what it would have been like had the people everywhere with open arms said, we're so glad the Messiah has come. Jesus knows what could have been. And it breaks his heart that the people didn't take advantage of their opportunity. Verse 42, as he's weeping, the Bible tells us what Jesus said, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. You don't see your own potential. You don't see what God could have done. Jerusalem was under the oppressive hand of the Romans at this point. They were basically servants in their own land. They were living under hardship. Things were not lekker. Jesus said, you could have had peace. But you didn't listen. Verse 43, For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus said this in 33 A.D. 37 years later, in 70 A.D., every word of that happened. The Romans did come and compass them about. They dug a trench so that the Jews couldn't pass over it. And they did tear down the buildings and the temple stone by stone until not one stone was left upon another. Every word of it came to pass. Why? Why did they end up utterly destroyed? At the end of verse 44, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What happens when somebody comes for a visit? Well, generally, generally, they, they come to the house and they knock. And if you don't answer the door, they just keep knocking for a while for a while in Malawi I like they add something to the knocking okay? they knock they say Odi Odi yeah see Odi 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 has no meaning it just means 
I'm here. (laughs) It's a noise you make so that they can tell whose voice it is. That's smart. If I don't recognize your voice, I probably won't answer the door. Right? I like that. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my Jesus is a Malawian name. Uh, You did not know, but now you know. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He's trying to pay you a visit. This might be the day of your visitation. And you are cheating yourself out of a life of peace and joy, walking with Him, serving Him, worshiping Him, enjoying His presence, knowing more about Him. You're missing out on all of that because He's busy knocking at the door, but you're not responding Maybe the TV's too loud. Maybe you got your headphones on. Maybe you're in the backyard playing a game. I don't know why you won't answer the door. But I do know that he's knocking. He's calling out. And he's waiting for you to respond. For some of you, you're in the Matthew 11 stage. You're still at the point in your life where He's warning you, listen, you have a chance. You can straighten things up. Some of you are reaching the end and He's standing over your life and looking down and saying, man, you missed out. You're breaking His heart. You had all these opportunities all this time And you know Him no better now than you did five years ago, ten years ago. He's the one weeping over it. In Matthew 11, He rebuked those cities. Yes? Isn't that what it said? And in Luke 19, He weeps over the city. He says, if you guys would have just known the time of your visitation... God forbid, one day you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and instead of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant, which by the way, you can hear. God forbid, you stand before the Lord and you see Him begin to weep. He doesn't want to punish anyone. And maybe, Christian, if I can preach to you just for a quick moment, Jesus begins to weep and and you say, Lord, why are you weeping? He says, let me show you what you could have accomplished if you would have just paid attention. And he shows you the Christian life that you could have lived if you would have made an effort. And on the other side, if you have never been saved, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ personally as your Savior, I'm not... I'm not talking about somebody that grew up in a Christian church. 
you personally, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, one day you stand before the Lord and He begins to weep and you say, Lord, why are you weeping? And He says, so many times I came and knocked on your door. I wanted to come into your heart. I wanted to save you. I wanted to reconcile you. I wanted to forgive you. But you never paid attention. You just rebelled and rejected me time and time again. And Jesus begins to weep. And you say, Jesus, why are you weeping? He says, I didn't want to say this, but you've left me no choice. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for any man. No man was ever supposed to go there. It's prepared for the devil and his angels. And Jesus says, you're a misfit. You shouldn't be there. I did everything I could to keep you from going there. And it breaks my heart to do this. But you've left me no choice. From mourning to weeping. And it all depends on what you do with the opportunity that He's given you. You have access to as much light about the Lord as you want. Take advantage of it. Let's all stand if you would please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few moments. Now your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I want everybody to have as much privacy as they can for the next few minutes. But I, I would like to say one thing. So you, you, you remain in that posture, but listen to what I'm saying. Some people are going to take this and say, you know what, I need to do more. You're, some, of, some of you are already doing too much. And, and I mean that. It is possible for Christians to do too much. Even the apostles had to say, listen, we need to get some deacons in here to help us. We can't preach the word, pray, and wait on tables. It's too much. So I'm not trying to put undue pressure on the few that are doing too much. I want you to search your own heart, please. And ask yourself, am I doing as much as I can to get and to work with the information God has made available to me. Dear friend, if you've never been saved, I'm not asking you today to receive our church. I'm not asking you to switch from one denomination to the next. I'm asking you today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God. His blood can wash away all your sins. Nothing else can. You can't undo your bad things by doing good things. If you've never been saved, today you've heard that there's a Savior who can, who can bring you back to God. 
Now, if you're here and you've never been saved, I'd like to pray for you. I can't save you with my prayer. I just want to ask God to help you. So if you're here today and say, Preacher, I, I don't think I've ever been saved. No one's watching. This is just for me. Would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Say, Preacher, please just pray for me. I won't point you out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Say, Preacher, just pray for me. I'm not sure. Like, like for God to help me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I see those hands. Father, I want to ask especially, Lord, for these hands that went up. As I understand it, Lord, it's, it's your heart's desire for these people to come to know you personally. Please, God, save their souls. Save them today, this morning. Might they open their hearts to you, Lord. Please give them, give them another chance. Give them time, Lord. Work on them. Work in them. Father, for those of us that are saved, Lord, we'd like to know more. We want to go deeper with You. But Lord, we also want to use what You've given us. Oh, please, God. We, we, want, to, we want to sit eagerly at Your feet and, and hear more from You. We want to pay attention. We want to react when you speak. Lord, we don't want to take you for granted in all that you've made available to us. Help us, God, to do what needs to be done. Lord, thank you for coming down here and showing us how much you cared. You warned us because you love us. We don't want to disappoint you or break your heart. Help us, God, as Christians to develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Please, Lord, help us to retain what we've heard this morning, to use it, to meditate on it. Please bring us back tonight. We'd like to hear more from you, Lord. We want more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.